the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman. Today, I'm doing something that is unique so far in my broadcasting history. I'm broadcasting from San Francisco, California at The Money Show, which is being held at the San Francisco Hilton Union Square. And also, departing a bit from the, the normal questions and comments I do on this show here. I actually have a guest on my show today, and if you were listening earlier to the station, the previous show, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, I have Keith with me, I'd like to say in the station, but I should say at the table here at uh, the Money Show, and uh, Keith has gone through an experience in his life that we agreed would be a good thing to share on my show because it it directly impacts the kinds of things that I do as an attorney. Now, just to to let you all know, I'm not going to be taking any calls for the first half of the show. Um, At the end of the first half, we'll kind of decide whether we're going to take calls. I suspect we will the second half, but I'll let you know the number at that time. In the meantime, um, if you have questions that you'd like to get to me, Uh, to maybe get answered on the show today, provided that we have time. You can email them to me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. And I'll be able to check those uh, in the breaks and see if any uh, questions come through during that time. So, um, okay, let me wave, smile. There we go. Okay, I just got my picture taken. Hopefully it will not end up on the dark web. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why it would be there, but who knows. So, um, Keith, um, could you maybe introduce yourself to my audience? They may not have listened to your show before or know anything about your background. So why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for the opportunity. So Keith Koo, the host of Silicon Valley Insider, the show that directly precedes yours on KDOW, 1220 AM here in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Uh, one of the things my, my normal audience are technologists, business folks, uh, corporate executives, and people who are just generally interested in scaling technology. Now, one of the things about having me on the show today is that I recently lost my dad. My dad died at 85 years old, but he had been, um, before he retired, he led Kaiser Permanente's retirement funds. He led the 403B, which is the nonprofit version of a 401K, and the pension fund. And now, he, when he retired in the 90s, that was a $2 billion fund, which even today is still a lot of money. And he had planned extremely well for his future and our future 
And even with his passing a couple months ago, my older sister and I, who are the uh, trustees or trustors, trustees, 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 trustees. yes, you're the expert. Um, Even though he had planned a lot for us, there were just so many things we still didn't know about. And so it's just something that's been on my heart to make sure that people in not just San Francisco and Silicon Valley, but around the world and my listener base, that they understand that they have assets in the United States. They need to protect them. Okay. So, Keith, um, I remember we had uh, we had uh, actually a wonderful opportunity as we were coming up to the show today. We both ended up on the same BART train from uh, from the Fremont area, so we got a chance to chat there. We got a chance to do lunch, get to know each other better. I mean, we're kind of neighbors on KDOW, but we never actually met before today. But, Keith, I remember uh, over lunch you telling me some of the things that you just never would have imagined would be issues with your father's estate that really didn't have anything directly to do with the planning that he did, which you indicated was very good. And from what you suggested to me, it sounds like it was very well thought out. What were some of the things that you and your sister have run into in the last couple of months? Well, thanks for the question. And yes, um, even though my dad, that was his profession, he did plan things really well. They're just always things that are unexpected, not just in my own experience, but also our, my, my other friends and family's experience as well. So some of the things you don't think about. Well, for instance, um, when we were going through the grieving process and meeting with the funeral director, et cetera, uh, one of the things that was first mentioned to me was before you do anything, make sure you know exactly how the bank accounts are structured for the deceased and what will happen depending on what path you take. So, for instance, it's very common, and again, it's the first time I'm on your show, but it's very common that for the folks taking care of matters after the fact, that the bank accounts of the deceased get frozen for whatever reason. Even when you have the right instructions, even when you think you've done everything right, it's just, you're talking to a customer service person. It's just natural that the safest thing for them to do when confused is to set you out from your accounts. Now, that didn't happen to us. It almost did. We had enough instruction, enough planning ahead of time to know but that's not normally the case. And I've heard horror story after horror story. Uh, a married couple who had, been, who had had joint accounts for 30 years and didn't know about joint signer. And uh, one of the spouses passes away and the other person's locked out of their own money for whatever reason. You just wouldn't expect those kinds of things that happen. Yeah, so they had an account that required two signatures on it. Yeah, apparently, and again, I know law, bank, I'm a former bank executive, former technology executive. Apparently, when they opened their accounts, they actually put down that required, say, two signatures for a check. And although never enforced by the bank ever, at the time of one of them's passing, the bank enforced it. Yeah, all of a sudden, this rule that had been ignored in the breach, as we'd say in, in legal terms, suddenly became all-important. And they basically messed with a longtime customer and denied her access to the funds. Yes. And the interesting thing is, today, my experience and the experience of practitioners such as myself throughout the country in the network I belong to is that the banks aren't even permitting you to open dual signature accounts anymore. Um, They don't want... Account. They won't let you open accounts where it requires two signatures on a check, and there's a there's a realistic reason for that. The banks don't look. The branches don't look at the checks anymore. They haven't for years. I mean, nowadays you can write a check, and you might want to experiment sometime. Write a check to a friend for ten dollars, 
have them deposited in their bank, and see if it clears your account. Here's the key. Don't sign the check. I'll tell you right now, it will clear your account without a signature at all because they don't look at that anymore, and they certainly will not let you open two two-party checks where two people have to sign. They just don't, they don't look at the checks anymore. And now here, the reverse thing happened back when it was maybe commonplace for two signatures, although I think one signature should be enough for anybody. Um, they were, uh, the, the surviving spouse was cut out and was held off. Now, what can you do in a situation like that? Nowadays, um, if you have the, the account owned in a trust, where you have a husband and wife or spouses as co-trustees, typically either one of them, you can indicate either one can sign on the account. And then it doesn't matter if someone becomes incapacitated or someone passes away. But a lot of people will put the accounts and they won't have it in their trust. Then the question is, what happens if both of them become incapacitated? If they don't have someone on that account as a power of attorney authority which typically a bank's going to require you to use their form, then no one can access that account at all. You may end up with a conservatorship just to get access to the bank account. So commonplace people, things that people do with their finances without conscious thought. They do it because everyone else does it. That's what their parents did. That's what their grandparents did. can cause major problems for a family when someone becomes incapacitated or passes away. So, uh, so Keith, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. Uh, when we come back uh, out there, audience out there, we're going to continue on talking with Keith about other things that he and his sister experienced in, um, in working on winding up the affairs of his, uh, of his father's trust estate. So we'll come back after the break. This is State Plan Attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. Talk with you after the break. Back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. This is uh, Bob Bergman. I have Keith Koo with me uh, at the table here at the Money Show in San Francisco. Uh, Keith is the host of Silicon Valley Insider, which is the show that broadcasts broadcasts, broadcasts immediately before my show here on KDAL. And we've been talking about Keith's experience that he is uh, having in the last two months, he and his sister, with the passing of his father and some of the issues that have come out that they did not expect. Keith, you told me um, earlier when, when we were having lunch together that um, your dad was a very competent, highly organized, very controlling person. Absolutely. So he had everything all planned out, or so he thought, planned out to a T. But you also expressed to me that your father considered estate planning to be an event and not a process. Um, We talked about how, for me, from my perspective, it's a process. It's ongoing because things change over time. It's not something you check off your list and forget about. Um, So 
why don't you tell me you know what we're talking about during the break there because I think it's very important for my audience to hear well well, thanks for asking me and I think this is just overall in terms of personalities so my father who I, I said in an earlier segment he ran Kaiser's retirement funds for Kaiser uh, that's the 403b which is a 401k in nonprofit world and that is a pension fund back in the old days where pensions were still popular and he made it a two billion dollar fund so this is a guy you know UC Berkeley MBA he did it all in terms of planning he was type A and you know uh, I'm Chinese American so he was definitely a tiger dad and uh, <laughs> you're right 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 so so even with all that he did as my sister and I have been going through his estate planning, which we've been there from the beginning, and uh, we actually are executives from our, our mother, because our mother, although she's highly educated, she just wasn't into personal finance, um, we realized that it was all built around him as a unique individual, very competent in financial matters. Uh, he made me start doing my own taxes at 13 years old. He said, Keith, IRS code is written for a 13-year-old, you're in eighth grade, here's your taxes. And, and this, you know, I won't get into how difficult that was, it was a 1040A, by the way. But that's the kind of guy he was. And so my sister and I realized, and we were talking about this because he was the oldest in the family of seven siblings, that there's things that the rest of the family, even though they're all highly educated, they don't know. And so we realized this point you were just making. They treat something like, let's say, a trust. And I've had a trust for 10 years. My dad had one for 20 years. My sister has one for 15 years. That was just an event for us. I wasn't really thinking about all the things that tie in together. And I come out of banking and technology. My show's about banking and technology in terms of uh, risk and compliance. We don't treat risk and compliance as an event. I think a lot of people mistakenly do that. I think they need to have a holistic mindset. And I think that's really where, uh, when you and I got together and understanding your practice and your show, that's the powerful part of this. This is not just an event. It is an actually holistic approach to planning your estate. Yeah, in our discussion, we both realized that that your background is in risk management. And as an estate planning attorney, what I do for families is also risk management. We're managing things like avoiding conservatorship if someone becomes incapacitated. We're, we're managing what happens if parents become incapacitated or die with young children. Let's manage the risk that those children are going to end up maybe with the wrong family members to raise them, that they're going to end up with an inheritance at age 18, which I think most people would agree you don't want to give an 18-year-old boy or girl a large sum of money, it's probably going to be gone. So that's part of risk management. And then managing the risk of public disclosure of family assets, uh, massive expense, and, and also lost time of the probate process. All these things can be managed with proper estate planning, but it is not an event. I usually tell my clients that they should have their plan reviewed Every three to five years, if there's a major life event, births, deaths, marriages, divorces, things like that, or if there's sudden changes in family wealth, either uh, it goes up tremendously or it goes down tremendously. I've had people do plans that leave significant sums of money to individuals and charities and then everything else to the family. But they're thinking in terms of, well, today I'm worth X million dollars, but then the market goes the wrong way, um, and suddenly they're worth a fraction of that, but their plan is giving away almost everything to people who aren't their children because of the way it's structured. 
So things like that, we can actually manage that risk, too, by putting in uh, governors and limits on those gifts, limiting them to a dollar amount or a percentage of the estate, whichever is the lesser amount, for example. So you don't end up with the remainder beneficiaries, the kids, getting next to nothing, uh, which is not what was intended. A $5 million estate can become a $1 million estate, and the planning could be devastating for the family. So what I do is risk management. It's an ongoing process, just like you were doing, Keith, in your business. Is that a fair statement? It's a very fair statement. And here's a great anecdote that just I'm reminded of when you just said this about not giving your kids all their money at 18 if something should happen to you. The heiress of In-N-Out Burger, if you, you probably heard the story, um, it's it an ongoing story. So the founders of In-N-Out, the two brothers, they died in a helicopter plane crash in the 90s, just as the company was scaling. And pretty much the majority of the controlling interest of the company was left to the daughter of one of the founders. And uh, at the time, you know, she had a substance abuse problem she, in her teens. She had become a mother in her teens, and their trust was set up so that she was not going to get the bulk of the estate until she hit 30. And she actually she actually wrote her own story, if I remember Googling it. She actually actually told her own story, saying it was the best thing that ever happened to her, gave her time to clean up, gave her time to get her life in order, and she actually left the company in the care and trust of the corporate executives who were freaked out that this person was going to take over the estate. And that that's a true story. Sure. I mean, we've we've seen movie plots like that <laughs> where where, you know, the... You know, you know, like the the idiot son is now in charge of the company, or or the one who spends all of his time partying is now in charge of the company. Those things happen in real life. Uh, in a situation like that, um, I often do planning that is designed to leave assets in trust for the children and maybe ultimately the grandchildren, lifetime trusts. And I put language in that says if someone has to, has to be a certain age to be a co-trustee in charge of that, maybe a certain older age to be the what I call the solo driver trustee, now in charge of everything. But I also put in language that says, look, if you're now 25 and you're a financial mess, you're a drug addict, alcoholic, you have a gambling problem, whatever it is, Maybe you're not allowed to take over even as a co-trustee. Maybe someone else will handle your inheritance for your whole life because we don't. You would never want to give large sums of money to someone who literally cannot handle it. It's um, I lost a cousin that way because an uncle of mine who was very wealthy left everything in trust with instructions, whatever my kids want. And, and my cousin was a, a drug addict. And now he had tons of money, and he used it to buy a lot of the good stuff and lost his life over that. So I'm a big fan of not leaving things directly to people. So coming up on the end of the second segment, uh, when we uh, come back, we'll talk more with Keith here. I think we're having a good role here. So this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. It's attorney Bob Bergman. I'm here with Keith Koo from Silicon Valley Insider, the show that precedes mine on KDOW. Uh, Keith broadcasted live here from the show um, 
earlier, and now he's on my show. We're talking about the experiences that he and his sister have been having uh, with his father's estate, uh, his father having passed back in June. And uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines now. If anyone wants to call in and ask a question of me or of Keith, it doesn't have to necessarily be related to what we're talking about today here. Um, I'm going to be open with that. We'll kind of call this, uh, to borrow from a slightly more famous talk show host, we'll call this Open Line Friday today. Um, So it's 800-516-1220. If you'd like to call into the show, Marco is waiting in the studio back in Fremont to route your call through if you'd like to talk with Keith or talk with me. But uh, in the meantime, we'll keep moving forward here. Keith, is there anything else that you would like to share with me? I mean, you were telling me at lunch how you come from um, your family background and, you know, and also like your ethnic background, which has certain kinds of assumptions and even cultural things there that maybe don't necessarily mesh up well with estate planning. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, it is accurate. So I'm very open. I'm Chinese-American, born in the United States, born and raised uh, right here in Alameda, California. And my family has been Christians for four generations. So although we're very familiar with a lot of the cultural um, hang-ups that certain ethnic groups have, um, I was fortunate that my family doesn't have them. But (laughs) having said that, being very sensitive to other cultures, death is not a popular subject in Asian culture. And we talk about even where, uh, in my, I'll bring up my Cisco days, uh, Cisco phone numbers, when we were growing, there were much fear around even numerology. So in the Chinese culture, I'm not a native Chinese speaker, but in Chinese culture, the number four rhymes with death and the number eight rhymes with prosperity. So you'll often find Chinese people not wanting to have fours or anywhere near their phone number or their address. They'd rather have eights. And so if you see license plates with eights on them, there's probably a Chinese person. So that's really rough in Santa Clara County if they've been there a long time because our numbers start with 408. Yes. So that's, well, that's actually <laughs> death and prosperity all in the first three <laughs> numbers there. So, you know, so if you're getting a new number, you can get a 669 exchange. And I'm guessing that's well, maybe well, relatively neutral. Well, the funny thing is there's also 666 and 408. Oh, 666? I'd stay away from that one. It's a mobile number. So so to your question about ethnic, right, um, I think, first of all, estate planning might not necessarily be how estates get passed down in other countries like, say, India or China, right? I mean, um, in India especially, for for what I know with my friends and their cultural background, it's, it's pretty much inherited from the senior male in the family it's passed down to, and then they're kind of the administrator of the family's assets, right? That has been my experience. I have about probably about 80 Indian families in my in my client base. Uh, some of them are from India. Uh, some are the first generation here from India. Some are from other parts of the world. They've never been to India, but that's where their parents came from. They're from the U.K., Canada, things like that. But um, the very I remember the very first couple that came in to my practice that were from the South Asian community in the South Bay, um, they said, we had no idea this was the way things worked here in the United States. Back in India, 
if my father died, my mother would be in charge of everything automatically. Everyone would just say she's in charge. If he became incapacitated, same thing. She's in charge. They pass away. Everything goes to me as the eldest son. Everything. And I'm now in charge of handling the family wealth to take care of my family and everyone else in the family, including my married sisters. Yes. In other words, their spouses were not responsible for caring for them. I was as the oldest male. And if there was no oldest male in this family, it went to the oldest male somewhere else in the family. And they were charged with that. It's such a completely different approach. And we're talking about a system of inheritance that's been in place for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's just that's the way it's done. They come here and they find out that it doesn't work that way. They find out if the husband becomes incapacitated, the wife can't go and refinance the house because he's incapacitated and he's on the title. <clears throat> so what they find out there is that, oh my gosh, we have to go to court and get a conservatorship so I can sign for my spouse? Yeah, that's right. I can't get money out of his 401k plan because it's in his name. I have no authority to do that. have to go to court to get authority. All these things, and that's just incapacity. At death, then they find out, the family finds out, we have to go through probate in order to get the property that mom and dad owned. It doesn't automatically pass to the oldest son. In, in quite the contrary. There's a reason for all that. And it's that the United States of America is relatively unique, maybe unique in the history of the world, as being a country founded on individual rights and individual liberty, and especially individual property rights. Yes. And because we're a country founded on the individual, not the family, not the clan, not the village, not the nation state or the kingdom, what it means is that we all have individual rights, individual authority, and we have to delegate that to people to act for us if we become incapacitated or at our death. And that's not the case in a lot of the rest of the world. Uh, so people who come here, the first inkling they may have there's a problem is when someone in their extended family comes incapacitated or dies, and then they find out. I've been grateful over the years uh, of being an evangel to the, especially the South Asian community here in the Bay Area, um, who do not have that as part of their background, but then they learn here. And it's very gratifying to be able to do the planning for them and then have them telling their family and friends and everything and do the planning for them so that now they're all lined up and, uh, and put in order here. Um, because otherwise, they're going to be shocked um, when they find out our legal system is very different from the legal system where they came from. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I won't take too much time, but in my earlier show, I had Teresa Grobecker, who is doing a real estate platform uh, for referrals. But back to this example of the U.S. being unique, it is because if I compare it to the real estate industry, only certain companies have a system like the United States for land rights and title registry and all that. And there's all these technology companies trying to solve for that to do international trade. So you're a family, whether you're in India or you came from Eastern Europe, let's say you owned a castle in Eastern Europe and now there's 40 
uh, heirs spread out around the world. How do you actually transfer property rights on that when it's back in a village in Romania or something like that? Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we have uh, entire law firms that deal with international estate planning, international inheritance. We have treaties with other countries that deal with is there going to be inheritance tax here, inheritance tax there, how do we split it between the countries. Um, and here in the Bay Area, especially in the South Bay Area, we have thousands of families that own property or are going to be inheriting property in other countries. Um, I tell them I can't help them directly with that planning. They need to do planning in the home country for the assets there because people say, well, what if I set up a living trust here? Can I put the land in uh, that's outside of Mumbai into my trust here? And I say, no, you can't because the United States is the only country that has something like the revocable living trust. <laughs> um, in other parts of the world, if they have trusts at all, they're permanent irrevocable trusts that are set up and that's it. They're, but the, this idea of a trust that's living and breathing while someone's still living and breathing is foreign. It's, a, it's an exclusively American concept. And uh, the closest you can get, I think, an American trust can, in some cases, own real estate in Canada. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it certainly can't own prop real estate in other parts of the world. It can't own accounts in other parts of the world unless, unless those accounts can be headquartered in U.S. institutions. I mean, we have a lot of international banks and brokerages, so you could have an account here in the United States that could be accessed in another part of the world, but the account over there we can't own in a trust here um, because you can't title it properly in the other in the other part of the exactly. world. Not yet, but the technology is about. Is, people are working on it. Well, it's not a matter of the technology, Keith. It's a matter of the legal system not being part of the legal system. Technologically, I don't think there'd be any problem with doing that. I mean, it, it's it's zeros and ones ultimately. I know enough about that. I'm not an engineer, but but I, I play one on TV. No. Um, but when it comes to, it's the legal systems. What do they permit in their laws? Even in the United States, you can own property as a married couple different ways in different states, and it's not the same. California, we have community property, for example. Only, only nine states have community property as part of their law for married couples. The other states do not. They have a different legal system. So even in the U.S., we have 15 different, 50 different sets of, of estate planning laws, 50 different tax laws. Yep. It's like 50 little countries here, that, and then we have the federal level kind of spread on top. Um, so estate planning is a very complex area. Um, what I try to do is suggest to people it's something they really shouldn't try to do on their own. Now, we're going to come back shortly. The number is 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call into our show today. Uh, we're down, coming up on the last segment of the show, so this is your last chance. We're going to come back and finish the show with Keith here. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back, Bay Area. Uh, we're on our final approach of the day. 
So uh, just to prepare for that, I ask you to put your trays in the upright and locked position. Make sure your seatbelts are fastened because uh, we're going to be coming in for a landing shortly. But in this last segment, uh, we have time for one call. If anyone wants to call in, you've got 10 seconds. It's 800-516-1220. I'm going to give it a count of 10 for someone to call in. If no one calls in, we're going to finish up the show today with, uh, with my new best friend, Keith, here. Um, we've had a chance to spend some time chatting here today. It's been great. Uh, so glad you came on the show today, Keith. Thanks for having me. Um, it's rough to talk about the things you're talking about. I know it is. Uh, I went through that with my own parents, first one, then the other. Um, it's been 15 years since my, my mother passed, and uh, I think about my parents every day. And it's tough to talk about these things. It's one thing to talk theoretically. It's another thing when you've been through it. So I have been where you are right now. I can empathize with that. And, uh, and But I can tell you, you and your sister will get through this. Your mom will get through this. And um, you know what they say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And it's never truer than when you go through the, the passing of a parent. Um, so... Sounds like uh, no one has called in, so let's move, let's move on and wrap up the show today. Keith, we were talking, um, we were talking a little bit about um, something kind of tangentially related to things like property ownership, talking about how different countries have different approaches. I was telling you during the break that the United States is the only country that really has the concept of a revocable trust. Yes. Uh, there are some um, some parts of the world do have trusts, like we get our trust law generally here in the United States from England, the English common law. But in England, all trusts that are created are irrevocable, unchangeable trusts. The concept of a revocable living trust is foreign to the rest of the world. Because of that, it means that you can't really own property in other countries in a trust here in the United States. And and what I do tell my clients is if they have property in other countries, they need to work with the applicable person to me over there, whether it's a, a solicitor, an avocat in Germany, whatever it happens to be, to do the planning there. And I make sure at this end that the planning I do doesn't unintentionally interfere with what might be done in another country. For example, by having wills that state it only applies to property in the United States, not to property in another country, because I don't want to will here inadvertently saying, oh, well, this property in Europe is supposed to go in this trust when I know it can't. So you are sharing with me uh, uh, an initiative that's going on right now that deals with transfer and titling of property around the world. Why don't you share with, with the audience? Sure. So, um, you know, my, my whole thing is about the intersection of business and technology. That's what my show is about. And so I'm just really thankful again, Bob, that we're, we're sharing some of um, my recent experience with my dad's passing. But in terms of how technology and process fits together, we're not talking about the politics. We're just talking about technology and process. There are several groups trying to utilize blockchain as a technology. So people are familiar with Bitcoin and Ethereum. This is not uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's blockchain as a technology in solving for land and title rights. How do you transfer that? So there's a couple of companies. One was on my show last year called Proppy. The CEO was from Eastern Europe. She's backed by Michael Arrington. They've done the first 
international Eastern European to United States, United States Eastern European transactions to transfer title. But that is just a mechanical piece of it. There was a lot of work, to your point you made in the earlier segment, that you have to work with the she, her team has to work with local government, has to, has to work with local government. And how do you take a paper process, make it into a systemized process, do technology? And it's going to take a long time because you have to hit every government, not just country, but county, state, and city, and whatever the corollary is for any other jurisdiction around the world. And then in terms of uh, my own experience, uh, and my guest, Teresa Grobecker, who was just on my show in the last hour, she's doing real estate referral network platform, and you can actually go international for referrals. It's the same thing. you got to work with every local government in order to make that happen. But what I, what I think is happening, though, is, is more and more demand as the, as the world matures, as citizens of, of maturing countries uh, become more educated, they want these services. Like yes, the and I know like in Santa Clara County, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of citizens and permanent residents who own property in other countries. And, and it's going to become a, a bigger and bigger issue as we have more and more international um, residents going back and forth between countries owning property, owning businesses, everything else. The problem is only going to get more complicated. And at some point, I agree with you, at some point there needs to be a global solution to titling and transfer of properties and businesses and things like that. Um, but in, when we were talking during the break, um, I thought maybe that, that, the, that the political issues might ultimately mean that that cannot come to pass. Too many people are too jealous, I think, of their local authority and their local control. But who knows? Maybe the world can come together on this one. So we're wrapping up for the today. Uh, for, for the today, for today, I think I've had a lot of fun with Keith here. I think you've had a good time too, Keith. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bob. And uh, we have just a few seconds more of the show today. But I want to let you all know that we'll be back on the air next Friday. And uh, until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio, and I'll talk with you next Friday. Have a great weekend, Bay Area. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.